Hey everyone, we're at the Palazzo here at, with the CyberHub podcast. I've got my a really good friend Mao Bin. He's the founder of Adaptive Shield, one of one of the companies I look forward to speaking with. And and I don't know where Danny is. She's <laughs> <laughs> oh Danny from if if you guys aren't listening to audience first or watching her and Chris Roberts take on some of the most most egregious emails that come out of people in sales for some godforsaken reason. You should, and and this is the background here at the suite. This is no alcohol, folks. We haven't started drinking yet, we're right? Just we're, talking about it. Though. We're just talking about it. We're, we're getting we're we're getting drunk by thinking about alcohol. Mal, welcome to the show, James. Thanks for having me once again. You know, it's a real pleasure to you know, first of all, seeing you in person, right? Right. And, like uh, we're not on. We're not. We're not. We're not doing this like weirdly apart right it's, it's amazing no, i love it you know thanks for the invite as always you know it's a real pleasure to see you uh, yeah you know so I'm, I'm glad you made it to vegas safe right with you know um air travel today keeps everyone delayed i got I in delayed it. i got in delayed man like <laughs> it's crazy i feel like air travel has deteriorated in this country yeah for sure right like it's, it's bad anyways Welcome to Vegas. What happens in Vegas ends up on the internet. Remember that. <laughs> Don't let anyone tell you anything otherwise. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas was before Hacker Summer Camp in Las Vegas. For sure. You know, staying at Blackhead, you should always, you know, shut down the Wi-Fi kind of uh, connection of any kind. Yeah. Don't go to Mandalay <laughs> Bay with Wi-Fi or Bluetooth on. Yeah, yeah. And if you do, do it at your own risk. And when something bad happens to you, don't come asking for help. Precisely. Just smash your phone and go out to the desert, bury it somewhere, get a new phone, call it a day. Precisely. You know, don't even bring a phone with you. you know? Because your phone is your <laughs> identity. And identity is the new perimeter. How about that? Well, sounds about right, you know. I mean, when I mean, that's what Adaptive Shield does, though. You guys are in the identity business. Yeah. Identity is a huge part of, you know, our strategy when we talk about SaaS security in general, you know, and we think about what we want to bring to the table as part of our SaaS security strategy and our SaaS security platform. Obviously, identity and identity and access governance, you know, is a huge part of, of what we do. Uh, and, you know, when we think about what companies and organizations today are trying to think of or you know setting up their SaaS security program obviously identity is a huge part of it because most of your IT stack moved from you know your premises to uh, cloud and to SaaS uh, and what left out of it is actually your identity which is obviously related to your users uh, and your devices and everything your human and non-human identity and i think there's there, there's a really healthy debate today on that right because to me i've said identity is the new endpoint i said identity has replaced the traditional endpoint type of discussion right like i'm gonna hack your phone no i'm gonna steal your identity right like i'm gonna i'm gonna pretend to be you i'm gonna you know and we saw that and i'm forgetting the story off the top of my head because it's been a really long day but but there was a story where I think they, they uh, the criminals hacked a company using the identity token. Yeah. 
right, of the user. And these identity tokens are the new password. Right. Right. They're they're, they're the new password. You know, and and, and so so you, you kind of look at what identities what, what what identity has kind of turned into. Let's turn identity from a password to a token. Okay, but then let's not rotate these tokens sometimes. And and I think that creates a challenge. Right. How do you address identity as a whole? Like what's your view as a founder or someone who started a company with the, with the emphasis of identity? Where do you what's your philosophy around identity? Your personal philosophy, Mark? Yeah, so as I said earlier, you know, when we're thinking about the modern enterprise these days, I mean, what we we'll look about or what we we'll look at is, you know, users and different entities. So entity could be, you know, a user as we said, but could be also an application, right? So, for example, these tokens that you're talking about are actually applications that are connecting to other applications, consuming data and collecting data out of it, processing it in some sort of a fashion. Uh, and, you know, it's dangerous. Right. Uh, and when we talk about, you know, the different identities, so you have on one hand the people and on the second hand, you know, the devices that these people are using. And on the you know kind of the third third party or or third hand uh, the applications these users are consuming and a user or a person you know using their devices in order to connect to an application this this is the relationship that you have you know uh, amongst identities these days in in any organization for that sake you, you know you brought up kind of the the interconnectivity of identity within all these different places right. and spots, right? To me, when you look at identity today, there's not a real clear cut kind of, I don't want to say solution, but there's not really a clear cut way to identify um, identity behavior, right? Right. You see a lot of people do user behavior analytics. And a lot of it is, is what I like to call uh, basic policies with a little bit of machine learning, right? that that that's really what it is that's fair enough yeah. right what's the next stage of 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 that i think today you know when you think about user behavior or entity behavior or as you know many people like to call it uh, uh ueb a user entity behavior analytics i think the main idea behind it or the main challenge to to be more precise is to you know find the balance between false positives and false negatives, right? And there is always, it needs to be kind of, you know, needs to be a balance between them because, you know, if you do one thing, the other, I mean, this is obvious, right? Uh, and I think kind of the approach today is to focus on or trying to reduce false negative as much as possible. And with the idea behind it, that we'll have to deal with some false negatives, right? So, for example, don't tell me stuff that are incorrect because I don't want to deal with alert fatigue. I don't want to deal with alerts. I have plenty of work. I have plenty of things to do as part of my day-to-day. -day. So I don't want to deal with false alerts. But I'm okay with missing some of the alerts because I have other compensating controls or other controls in place that I can find You know, these missing kind of alerts uh, or false negative, as we just said. Uh, so this is kind of the main balance and the focus, in my opinion, that we should look as part of a 
solution we're trying to look for behavior analytics right. or talking about machine learning or statistical learning yeah i mean you bring up something very interesting right which is the idea that we can somehow study a human specific activity and trigger red flags which you and i both know humans interact with technology very differently throughout their lifetime of using uh, you know said technology right and, and i'm not talking about how someone browses an iphone or what thumb or finger they use or what hand they hold it in. i'm talking about the more introspective idea of uh, uh browsing history browsing style uh, uh purchases there, there's no real pattern to it right there's right. There, there's not i mean amazon has spent hundreds of millions of dollars trying to analyze shopping patterns to only say we're going to do prime day in july right <laughs> Like that was their that was their big thing of analyzing shopper behavior, right? And 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 they typically do that in July because really after Fourth of July, people don't spend money, people don't buy big things until Christmas at that point, right? Because you've got back to school and 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 in the fall and all of that stuff, right? So they did Prime Day in July. It's actually very interesting to me because I think the same applies to me as a practitioner's view of how my humans interact with technology in the distributed workforce that we have today with people being all over the world and all different time zones at different times and people work differently, right? Uh, one of the smartest people that ever worked for me, a security architect was a guy who would log in at four in the morning and work from four to six at six. He would stop working. AM yeah. six, six AM stop <laughs> working. And he wouldn't log back on till anywhere between 10 a.m. to noonish right and then he would do three four more hours log off disappear and then at 9 p.m come back on right and work for 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 an, a few more hours two three hours whatever the case may be this pattern wasn't the same every day this pattern was very different and he did different things at different times meaning it wasn't like he was checking email from 4 to 6 a.m and then he was going away and coming back and then he was you know logging in to something and doing you know his writing code or or building out plans he wasn't doing any of that right he was his workload was very different he processed things differently there is no way of studying this person but if i had an alert for every time he did something out of the ordinary and if my standard alert was if someone logs in after five or if someone logs in you know uh, before eight then you know do all give me all these notices you know i i just i just think that we've we've lost kind of the right approach towards people how do we fix it i think that uh you know that long rant was that question sorry no, so so the, the answer is pretty simple to be honest so I'll, I'll give you an example i mean you you obviously i mean and the audience can't see it because this is a podcast right uh, maybe Danny here will post some some of the photos she was uh, uh, she taking. was taking yeah but uh, but you know uh, uh, I I can see you for example using Mac right right uh, so you know it's not only about and we call it UEBA right user behavior analytics or user entity behavior analytics but it's not only about the behavior right it's also about the pattern and the usage and stuff that related as we said earlier to your identity. So, for example, I see that you use Mac. So, if, for example, I'm having hard time in predicting your activity and your behavior, I might add into that, you know, equation uh, 
some other parameters that will help me, you know, determine, you know, if this was a legit kind of usage or is it an anomaly in your behavior? So, for example, you, you're now in Vegas and you're connecting to your, I don't know, Zoom account or, or, or Slack or, you know, whatever. Uh, but you're using it from your own Mac, which a device that we're familiar with, that's fine, right? But if you, for example, somehow pop with another device that, you know. Let's say I show up with a Windows device. No, I've been hacked. Someone stole my identity. Right. I don't use Windows. I don't. You shouldn't. I, I refuse to. <laughs> I mean, literally, our, our IT department in my company issued me an HP laptop. Yeah. You know how much dust is on that laptop? I can, I can. Six that. months worth. <laughs> <laughs> Six months worth. So, you know, that's exactly <clears throat> my point, right? And it, it sounds simple, but it's actually, you know, more complex than that. There are obviously, you know, many, many, many features to, to consider, you know, as part of such yep. model. Uh, but, you know, a device uh, or that is related directly to your identity is one of them. So, so, Mar, let me ask you this. You guys are at Black Hat. Right. Um, one of your marketing guys here, Hananel, was uh, telling me a secret before you came on here um, that you guys are launching something new at Black Hat. Yeah. What are you launching? Because Hananel was like trying to be all secretive about it. He's like, we're launching something new, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> right. And, yeah. and, and Yara and Shiri were teasing. They're like, we're launching something, but we're not going to tell you. Oh, so I was like, I'll thing. figure it out from Mao. Yeah, no, so like, we want thing. your face to be surprised. No, absolutely. And this is this is a good thing that you know we're now talking with the whole world, you know, to right to reveal it. But you know, it's gonna be you know public soon. So you know, we're launching uh, uh, soon enough. You know, and by the time that you know this will be published, I guess it will already, it'll, it'll, already be out. Yeah, it'll already right? be out. So we're we're launching you know our ITDR uh, capabilities which stands for identity threat detection and response. And this is kind of, you know, a uh, pretty outstanding solution because, you know, combining it with our SaaS security capabilities right. and, you know, identity is kind of our main focus and being really the only SaaS security solution that today, you know, connects to uh, more than 130 applications out of the box and you know it right yeah yeah we've done we've done plenty of <laughs> webinars with some demos on this stuff it's been yeah. and uh, and by the way for 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 the reference for the webinars is mar and i did a bunch of webinars with my friends over at the hacker news our friends over at the hacker news right a uh, great great group of friends and all of those webinars are available for all of you to go watch on the hackernews.com you can go check them out i think they might also be on the adaptive shield website i'll put the link in the show notes so you guys can go check those out for sure. Uh, so this relates directly to that. You know, when we speak about identity, when we speak about SaaS security, when we speak about, you know, identity being the new perimeter, this is exactly where it all, like, come comes together, right? Um, so we're launching, uh, we're launching the uh, new capability of identity threat detection and response. And when we think about it with, you know, combining all these activities from, you know, more than 130 applications that are supported out of the box in our platform, it's really, you know, if you think about it, pretty outstanding, right? Because it's no longer, you know, being, you know, focused on one application or a handful of applications for that sake, 
right? You can get a full visibility on your entire stack, finally, right? Well, and you can get visibility. You can also detect anomalies in your stack now. Right. Which is significant, right? right? I mean, what's the main benefit of, 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 of the ITDR? I think what's really outstanding here is, you know, besides, besides this feature, you know, we treat kind of SaaS security or, you know, SaaS security solution as they should be, you know, platforms because they're protecting platforms eventually. So we keep adding more and more use cases to the platform. And ITDR is the recent one, obviously, but we cover, you know, lots of other other capabilities as well. And we appreciate the fact that, you know, there are solutions that cover, you know, a specific section or a specific, you know, feature that, you know, they focus only on that. But, you know, our long-term vision and our mission is to protect, you know, SaaS applications. And as part of that, you know, we deliver a comprehensive uh, SaaS security platform that includes many, many uh, use cases, which include, you know, security misconfiguration, identity and access uh, governance, analytics, uh, uh, SaaS to SaaS connection. We talked about the right. connectivity and the OAuth applications. We talked about devices and user identities that are related to these devices. And the reason capability is identity threat detection and response. Yeah, I mean, I think all of these capabilities start to give you a lot more insight into your SaaS stack. Correct. Right now. You know, you've been living this world now. Adaptive Shield is how old now? More than uh, four years. Yeah. So, so a little over four years. Yeah. You know, looking at SaaS stacks pre-COVID, right? And, and, and I'm bringing up COVID in 2023, and I apologize. <laughs> but bringing up bringing up the SaaS stack because I feel like the SaaS stack has tripled since COVID, right? Have you seen the same? Do you think like SaaS stacks got yeah. larger as oh. as we kind of moved into more into the cloud more into a distributed workforce listen jay I, I think you know this is stating the obvious i mean obviously you, you know me i mean i i'm always talking about the fact that SaaS and adapting uh, adoption of SaaS application is growing you know super fast and i always like to say that you know today adapting a SaaS application is really easy i mean you need only two things right 10 minutes of your time and a credit card and right? an API. Okay. <laughs> yeah. An API. Okay. Yeah. Most of the time. Uh, well, that's, that's the one of the, <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the integrations, right? Uh, get, get your API key. I mean, I've seen it. Um, they make it so they make it almost too easy, right? It's, it's like a drive through at McDonald's. Yeah. Right. It, it's literally like, you know, if you ever notice these fast food places, they're always at the edge of the highway with a big sign and you're tired and you're driving and you're like, oh, all right, let me, uh, let me, let me, let me stop and get a, get the most unhealthy food I can possibly put in my body. Yeah. But you know, I think one of the reasons, you know, organization adapting, and I was discussing it really earlier with, with, uh, one of the security professionals here at Black Hat. Uh, and he was telling me, you know, with, you know, all the young people that, you know, an organization brings in, you know, everybody thinks they're an IT admin, right? And they bring over, you know, new SaaS applications. They think they can manage them. Yep. But in fact, you know, what they're creating is a huge, you know, hole in your security architecture, in your security uh, methodologies. So, yeah. 
You know, I, oh, there goes my mic. There we go. We saved it. That was a good one. That was a good one. All right. So let me tell you this. I, I'm a big proponent of identity. You and I have kind of had this conversation offline as well. Uh, when in my last role, not the one I'm in at the moment, when I was at when I was the CISO at Glorify, we launched a mobile banking app that was passwordless for our users from day one. Yeah. Right. And we were before we went bankrupt, we were in the process of moving our entire company internally to passwordless. And one of the challenges I ran into is not everyone supports a non-password type of SSO. Do you see that changing in the, in the identity world? Do you see more SaaS applications kind of go to the passwordless type of model, maybe over the traditional kind of? I think most of the SaaS apps eventually will support SSO or kind of, you know, offering SSO integration of some sort. Uh, if you call it password, I wouldn't call it passwordless because eventually you need, you know, some sort of a password, but you can, many SaaS applications today, they block the usage of local credentials and offer connections only to SSO. Now, if you implement this kind of architecture as part of your SaaS architecture, uh, that's actually a good practice. The problem start when you start doing a mix of things. When, and this is a must-have in, in any organization because some of the users, they need to bypass SSO for legitimate reasons, right? Uh, for, you know, robustness or redundancy or, you know, being able to connect and, you know, not staying locked out if the SSO just falls, right? So all legit, right? But you need to some, somehow maintain it. And when, when the organization is a big organization, right? right? You need to invest in what I like to call security hygiene. Uh, being able to, you know, clean up these, you know, uh, SaaS applications from time to time and being able to get this kind of visibility in order to stay and work in a secure fashion, uh, but also invest in your identity governance because, you know, if you have local credentials uh, uh, as a separate part of your SSO methodology, right? You need to make sure you also uh, uh, maintain the native security controls which within uh, uh, each SaaS application. Meaning, you need to invest in password complexity and make sure it aligns with your policy. You need well, to invest you, you, in multi-factor. You're, you're talking about a lot of work, though, right? Yeah. I mean, which if you think of an average organization has 80 SaaS applications, depending on the size, and I'm underestimating here, right? right. The look you just gave me was like, shut the F up, James. 80? I haven't seen... We're literally talking about, you know, hundreds of, of apps. Hundreds, and in some cases, thousands, right? Managing every single one of those is is a tall order, right? Because that's, that's literally a, a, multiple hours a week, multiple maybe hours a month, of having to go into every single SaaS application your your org has and ensuring that the policies that you've set forth meet, are, are met in that specific SaaS application. That's, you know, that's a lot that, of work. That very thing you, you're describing right it's, it's, now is actually what you kind do. of 
was a strong indicator for us right. back in the day that an automated process is required, right? The idea of managing, you know, continuous security hygiene across your SaaS estate is 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 a lot of work. Yeah. It's it's insane. It's, yeah. it's un, not manageable, right? If you don't automate it, then then what are you doing with it? Yeah, no, it's really. I mean, you know, I don't like to use the word impossible because I like to think that. You know, well, no, it's possible. It's yeah. just how much resources are going to have to dedicate to do it. Precisely. Right. The, the idea is, you know, the idea is what's the cost of the risk, right? Yeah. What's the cost to solve that risk? And, and, and that's kind of how you weigh it. So, yeah. You know, if you want to do it for one app, it's probably manageable. You know, you can have, you can have, you know, several people investing and researching and maintaining, you know, these application because what happened in most of the time when a security person will come to the application owner and will ask him you know if the application is secure right what they're gonna say sure of course of course course. right but in fact you know the security team they don't know how to challenge you know these kind of statements well Um, so so let me push back on that do you mind yeah I don't think they don't know how to challenge it, uh, and and I, and I was uh, and I was telling um, um Yod uh, earlier, right? Um, uh, the same thing. There's a hill you go to die on as a security practitioner, and then there are battles where you just send an email and you say you're confirming to me that this SaaS application has A, B, and C done. Correct? Answer me. Yes, and that's that because. Y- You've got limited, most security teams are understaffed by 20 to 30% right. on average. Most security teams are overworked, overstressed. I mean, the amount of people in our industry that have diabetes, cholesterol, a drinking problem, a pill habit is one of the largest of, of, of any other industry on the planet, right? Like, I mean, there's a lot of pressure on security people. There's a lot of pressure because we have to be right 100% of the time. No one else in the company has to be right 100% of the time. No one but security people. They have to be right 100% of the time because the moment you're not right, everything goes to shit. Yeah. And when everything goes to shit, you're even under more stress than where you were trying to prevent everything from getting to shit. So you know what? Allow me to correct myself. It's not that they don't know how to challenge this kind of... Uh, they just uh, don't pick those battles. They don't pick those battles, not because I, they're lazy. I think it depends on the app. So, for example, if it's a common app like Office 365, so everybody likes to be on top of it. But if it's a less common app like Salesforce or, you know, even less common like Miro, for example. Right. right? Like, like Miro is a great example. That's typically, you know, app designers, right? Yeah. That's the flow. Yeah, I get that. That's probably a handful of people. So, you know, I mean, it's obviously not their focus. So it's really, so again, allow me to correct myself. It depends on the app. But when, you know, security folks comes to the application owner on some apps and they tell them, you know, whether it's secure or try to figure out whether it's secure or not. And they tell them, you know, one thing, but they don't know, you know, what exactly to ask. So they obviously, you know, they kind of, what comes to mind is, you know, for all your SaaS estate, it would be very good for an organization to have kind of an advisor or SaaS expertise in place that they can go ahead and consume. 
Um, and again, this is obviously, you know, my my personal opinion. But no, I, no, I mean, yeah. your personal opinion counts. Yeah. I think your your people's opinions and how they see things, and our ability to be able to take that knowledge and apply it to our point of view in order to form a more informed decision over these things is critical. Because at the end of the day, I say I practice cybersecurity. I don't work in cyber. I don't operate. I practice it. I practice it because every single day it changes and every single day is different. Every single thing I do is different every single time. Nothing's ever the same. Nothing's ever the same. Microsoft just changed Azure AD's new name to what? Entra ID. Right? Like, who came up with that? (laughs) And why? Like, I'm going to go on another naming rant here. But why? Stop rebranding your products, people. Azure Active Directory, Active Directory is as old as the internet. Right. It's synonymous with identity. Absolutely. It's synonymous with everyone in the industry. We all know when I say Active Directory, what I mean. Identity. Go tell someone enter ID now. <laughs> Watch what you, they're going to look at you like, what, what, what the hell did you just say? You just cuss at my mom in a language I don't understand? What is that? I think the main idea probably behind it is that Active Directory kind of, you know, considered an on-prem solution. And, you know, I think... I'm I'm, I'm going to push back on that, Mar. I'm going to push back. I'll I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you, this is a problem we as an industry have. And I'm telling you this as a practitioner. I come to know a product and I communicate that product to everyone in my organization, IT, technology, engineering, marketing, HR. They all know what Active Directory is. Now they're going to log into Microsoft one day and it's not going to say Active Directory anymore. It's going to say Enter ID. And you know what's going to happen to my help desk? It's going to crash like Walt's call center in, in Israel. Right, it's just going to crash. <laughs> it's going to crash because everyone's going to be like, I- "I'm looking for Active Directory and I can't find it." Yeah, well, I, I understand. Yeah, right. And 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 so, and and the same goes to naming APTs multiple name, and the same goes to rebranding products, and the same goes if you've got something where people are synonymous. You're launching ITTR, right? Synonymous. Don't ever rebrand it, please. For the for for fuck's sake, don't rebrand it. Right? We don't like plan to. Yeah. give it the name, <laughs> stick to the name. Right? It's a good name. It you hear it, you know exactly what it does. I don't know what Entry does. Someone's gonna have to explain it to me at Microsoft. Yeah, you're just gonna have to, right? Because I don't know. I know what Active Directory does. Yeah. Now, if this does the same thing, then my question is, why change it? That's like all of a sudden changing a hamburger and calling it a burrito. <laughs> it's not the same thing. Yeah. You know, it's not. Um, Even though I like to eat both. You know? I, I enjoy both very much, right? I haven't had a burrito in years because of the calorie amount in a burrito, right? Like, I just, you know, I think you know, burrito's like 1,800 calories. It's crazy. Yeah. That's, you know. That's insane when you think of like what our body should be consuming a day, which is fifteen hundred. <laughs> this is the number you check. 
An average Chipotle burrito, the average Chipotle burrito is anywhere from 1,500 to 2,300 calories, depending on what you put inside. I'm going to write it down right now. Write it down, check me, call me out on it. Right when when we publish this bad pod, someone's gonna probably write in the comments. James, you're absolutely wrong. If you take a low carb <laughs> tortilla or a spinach tortilla, you can reduce calories by about six hundred percent, or some some other stuff. But Mar, so tell us what's what's on the what what how do you see identity developing till the end of this year? Well, as I said, you know when it, when it comes to identity, it's really not you know, how we used to think about it in the past. It's a combination of things mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, you need to take kind of or, or get in a new place in your kind of security architecture, right? Because until today, you had, you know, users and some items, you know, protecting these users. You had mm-hmm. devices and some capabilities or some products, you know, protecting these uh, uh, um, uh uh, devices. You had the application with some products and solutions protecting these applications, and you had the firewall. All this was under, you know, what we call the on-prem, the good, good old on-prem, right? And the firewall protecting all of it. So, you know, none of the outside threats uh, or threat actors can, you know, uh, allegedly breach the firewall. Right? We know that to be false, <laughs> but mythbusters. Uh, but when things, you know, and your entire, you know, architecture kind of went outside to, you know, to SaaS or to uh, uh, the cloud, uh, you need kind of a new approach in place. And this shifting from, you know, the thinking of securing your premises into securing your identity, and this is where I think, you know, we're going. Uh, uh, with identity because identity you know never changed through throughout the years right it's always the same thing we're talking about people we're talking about users we're talking about devices and we're talking about applications right the combination of things the human and non-human elements uh, of course yeah 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 uh also entities of course you know a part of it and applications are a huge part of your identity uh, and should be part of your identity uh, uh, architecture um but you know when we think about the new world and the modern enterprise kind of shifting from you know securing the premises from securing the identity uh this is exactly the kind of thinking we should go ahead and develop i i, I like that thinking how do we make it practical for people so in order to make it practical you really need <coughs> you know uh i always like to to uh, think of security on focusing on two things. First one is visibility. The second one is control. And you need visibility across your entire users and all the devices and all the applications, right? Doesn't matter if it's a managed application that the organization adopted or whether it's a shadow IT app that someone, you know, just used a credit card and suddenly, you know, 10,000 people, you know, in the organization are using, right? Um, you need, you need, you need this visibility, right? The second, the second thing after you got this visibility is to understand how to control it and how to set the security controls as part of it. As soon as you have those, you know, two 
two uh, uh, items in place, I think this is, you know, kind of a good start of starting starting implementing, you know, the right methodology uh, 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 that you need in order to work in a secure fashion. Yeah, I like that approach. I like the methodology behind kind of going through through the different steps. When, when if you have a listener who's listening to this now, who's going, we've got more SaaS applications than we can handle. I don't even know how to pitch this to my CISO, right? Because could be, they could be the IM, identity access management right. responsibility. What would you tell them to pitch their CISO? How would you, how would you wrap this problem to them in a way that could get them to get buy-in from leadership to go about getting a product like Adaptive Shield or a solution to help them automate everything? First of all, I don't think that, you know, a problem starts or ends with, with a product, right? I mean, you need to decide you want to build in your organization a SaaS security program, right. right? And as soon as you decided that, now you need to make sure you're doing the right steps in order to uh, 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 secure your organization. It doesn't, doesn't mean you have to bring over a tool, Right. You have to start with, you know, the things you think are are, are part of your mythology, right? Uh, so you can, by all means, you know, start with one application, understand, you know, how you want to build it, set up the right feasibility, right? And it, again, it doesn't need to be with a tool that you buy necessarily, but, you know, you need to do some, or, or you know, at least I would advise to have some automation in place. Now, in most organizations, you know, bringing security professionals to develop, you know, uh, in-house tools could be very problematic because, you know, as soon as the, you know, several, you know, people will leave the organization, the the organization will be, you know, out of may. Uh, there won't be right, right. There'll be no one there to yeah. take responsibility for the tools. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, you can always start small and start, you know, building. Uh, uh, your controls in place, but at the end of the day, you will be, uh, or at least, you know, I will encourage, you know, every security professional to start having, you know, an automated uh, uh, process in place. Yeah, you you got to start building it from somewhere. The one thing I would add to that, Amar, if it's okay with you, is yeah. um, understand what are your critical SaaS applications and start with that. Start with your most critical, your Salesforce, your HubSpot, you know, your, your office 365 potentially, um, and, and even your AWS and Azure environments, uh, or, or even GCP, right? I mean, those are, those are critical kind of applications within, within your pipeline, right? Focus on those and then, and then start to kind of spread out into, you know, the, the, the less problematic ones like zoom or, or, or teams, you know, once you manage office 365, you manage teams. So let me say just zoom, or WebEx or, or whatever else is out there nowadays. So by the way, I wouldn't call it less problematic because, you know, sometimes in some of the application you mentioned could be, you know, very critical data uh, of the organization. Uh, but, you know, it's really, you know, when building every program, when, when starting to build every program, you need focus. Uh, and you need to implement, you know, the same steps in a kind of, repeatable way in order for it to be effective uh so 
I would start with, you know, the focus the organization have and uh, kind of, you know, looking after the crown jewels and then, you know, expand into more. And again, I won't call it non-problematic apps, but to more, you know, apps that you think should be kind of the next focus for you. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, maybe non-problematic is not the right word, but I would think, you know, kind of, I rank apps based on crit business criticality. Right. The most critical apps are the ones I spend the most time on. The high ones we spend the second most time on. I can right? relate to that. Yeah. Right. The medium ones we spend obviously some time on, and then and then low and 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 not don't really matter. Right. Like a right. like a potential app for I don't know. Yeah. If an app, you know, like that's used by two people and they use it for. You know, yeah, uh, exactly. creating memes for yeah. the marketing team. I don't right. really care, right? Like, that's not on my agenda to address. Right. But but other apps are. Salesforce, I absolutely care. HubSpot, I absolutely care. Right. AWS, I absolutely care. Right. right? Like, like the, I mean, I would rank that. That would be, that'd be important for me. Yeah. And I think that's a good start. And this is where... You know, when we talk about visibility, this is exactly understand, you know, your SaaS assets, know what apps, you know, organization is using, what's more important, what's more critical for the organization. And obviously, if, you know, it's an app that, you know, two people, you know, are using in the organization, it has no critical data in it. So, you know, probably no one cares, right? Well, uh you're right it's not that no one cares it's it's not the risk isn't worth the effort yeah. right and i think at the end of the day as as practitioners right what we're trying to do is create a higher cost to hit our our valuable critical assets right so that's why i'm going to defend my critical assets and i'm going to spend a lot of my money there right. than i am potentially on an app with means on it as, as an example and i'm saying that strictly as an example right yeah. but 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 that's kind of like the, the the approach i i i look at it or you know or something along those lines because because you know I'm, I'm i'm more concerned with that i'm i'm more concerned with with what's critical for my org what's what's going to keep our business running and what's going to keep our data secure and away from you know regulatory oversight investor scrutiny board scrutiny all of these different things that are really critical for an organization, right? And a practitioner per se, like really important for a practitioner. Yeah. Right. Exactly right. Cause, cause there's, there's an aspect to this that I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm not very fond of when it comes to SaaS. And you talked about it, which is the ease by which someone can, can connect an application. Right. Um, but then the second part, which, which I think is even more dangerous is the ease of which data real life data could end up in some of these SaaS applications is, exactly. is, you know, what do you see when it comes to data ending up in SaaS? Like, are you seeing a lot of your customers essentially going like, wow, we connected it. And all of a sudden we discovered we had data sitting in applications we didn't even know about. Yeah, for sure. So we're seeing lots of, you know, when it comes to SaaS applications, again, you need to put, the right controls in place and some of the SaaS applications they have really good features but you have to know how to use them 
And sometimes, you know, these, you know, kind of small errors that people are doing as part of the day-to-day, not in, not in purpose or error or anything like that, but, you know, these small errors can lead to a very serious, you know, problems in the organizations. So a very common problem that we're seeing is, you know, public links that are accessible anonymously. And we're seeing, you know, our customers, you know, seeing uh, uh, lots of really sensitive data as part of these uh, publicly accessible links, right? Including uh, uh, SSN of, you know, their customers, including sensitive uh, uh, information uh, uh, that people can potentially access because these are publicly accessible links. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. So what's the best way for people to learn more about Adaptive Shield? Or... I think, you know, just type Adaptive Shield on Google and you get into our website and we have plenty of materials. Uh, uh, and we talk within our website on the entire capabilities of the platform and the way we'll look at SaaS security and the use cases you should care as part of your uh, SaaS security program. Well, and you guys have a booth at Black Hat, right? Absolutely. Perfect. I'm going to be stopping by your booth. I know this is going to be published after the fact, but y'all will see a reel on Thursday. It's me at the, at the Adaptive Shield booth letting y'all know about this episode. And when you do that, comment below. But you've seen the reel, and I'll put you in for a drawing to get a bunch of really cool CyberHub podcast swag. Fair? Pretty cool? Yeah? Sounds excellent. Yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah, we want. I want to do something really cool at the booth with Adaptive Shield because Mar and I like we have we have a thing, and we'll be stopping by the booth on Thursday to do a really cool reel and uh, post it out there for everyone to come. Make sure to listen to this podcast, and at the very end, at this very moment, comment with what I'm going to ask on the reel. And if you do that on the podcast, this very moment, forty four minutes in, then. You'll enter a drawing and also do some really cool cyber hot podcast swag. People love that. People love swag. Who doesn't love swag? Yeah. I got a really cool swag from you. Right here. Yeah. Check it out, y'all. An adaptive shield coat pin, which is adaptive per- shield shield. It, it's an adaptive shield shield, and it's got a guy with like really cool hair. <laughs> I want that hair. I don't have that hair anymore. Everybody, everybody does, James. Yeah. Like I, I I mean, Danny's got the hair. Danny's got like luxurious hair. It's uh, almost slaps you in the face. Mar, thank you for coming on the podcast, oh, man. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. I can't wait to do another webinar together. Um, and I'll see you Thursday at the booth. It's going to be a blast. All right, y'all. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Jam Session here at the Cyber Hub Podcast. We're in Black Hat. We're at Plaza with my good friend Danny Wolf of Audience First. We're hanging out here. It's uh, end of day one. I think tomorrow we kick off. Pretty darn early, right? What time is the show floor open? 10 a.m.? 10 a.m.? Hananel, 10 a.m.? Do they not know this is Vegas? Like, why can't they do it from, like, 12 to 4? Like, who's going to be there at 10 other than the salespeople? Anyone? Are you going to be there at 10? I'm in several meetings, so no. But yeah. So so your answer is, 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 is equivocally no, I'm not going to be there at 10. We need to talk to Black Hat, Danny. We got to change this to like Tel Aviv hours, right? Like 12 to 4. Like that's what it's got to be, 12 to 4.
Yeah, I heard that. Chris Roberts was telling me you're bringing in people at 8 a.m. Who brings people in at 8 a.m.? Why would anyone do that? I don't know. I, 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 You know, you're brave, and you've got CISOs actually coming. I mean, I got to do a live show at 6 a.m. Take that. All right, Mal. Thank you very much. means thank you very much in Hebrew, y'all. So, really appreciate you, buddy. Appreciate Hananel, Yara, Shiri, and the team at Adaptive Shield. You guys are always fun to work with, man. Oh, thanks for having us, as always. And, you know, it's a pleasure. As a, absolutely. Thanks, y'all. <laughs>